Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. This episode of the CMO Podcast is part of our Leadership During Crisis series. For these short episodes, I am inviting back previous guests to see how they are leading during the pandemic, how they are addressing new challenges, and how they are providing for their consumers, their employees, and the public during these unprecedented times. My guest today on Leadership During Crisis is Adam Petrick, the Global Director of Brand and Marketing at Puma, the sports and lifestyle brand. Today, we really get into how Adam and his team are navigating a colossal shift in their business model, and we talk about how they are maintaining the creativity in the organization when everyone is working remotely. This is a challenge for so many CMOs and so many marketing groups. This is my conversation with Adam Petrick. Welcome back, Adam, to the CMO Podcast, a special Leadership During Crisis edition. Our podcast, our longer podcast, was released in January. So in January, your brand was really hot, and it seems to be still hot. Your stock price was really strong, and it still is. And your brand ambassadors, so many of them amazing people, were encouraged to speak out, and now even more so. So with that setting, I'd like you to walk through the largest changes in your life and your business over the last six months. I know that's a big, heavy question to start with. It is, with, yeah. But let's start okay. with your life. Let's break the it big, down, yeah. You know, good and bad. Biggest sure. changes in your life, and then let's get into your business. It's so funny that you make that, that comparison, you know, January to now, because you're, you're right. I mean, a lot of stuff, I think from a business standpoint, momentum, you know, we, 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 we did manage to come out of a near total lockdown in a lot of our key markets uh, with, you know, some momentum maintained. And yes, the stock has been kind of all over the place, but we're okay now. And, uh, you know, it, it is, it is, it has been a crazy time. I think that, you know, the, the thing is that it's probably the most interesting for me is, you know, judging or, or thinking about and reflecting on the early days of the public health crisis that, that COVID created on a global basis and thinking about, you know, how it, how it emerged. Uh, it, you know, it started in one of our most important growth driving markets in China. Uh, it spread quickly to, you know, one of our longest standing and most established markets in Europe. Uh, and then obviously rolled across the U.S. And, and each of those markets reacted in a different way. You know, and I think a lot of that had to do with public health policy. It had to do with consumer sentiment and, you know, just behavioral shifts. But I think that we've been blessed because we have a very broad, diverse base of business. You know, we, we, we have a very good geographic split, you know, sort of roughly 33, 33, 33, if you think uh, APAC, uh, EMEA and, and, and America's. Um, you know, we have a pretty broad mix of categories and, and, you know, so that's been useful to us. Some categories up, some categories down, but, you know, overall the mix has been, has been, has been useful. Um, you know, and, and I guess that the, the way that everybody has just kind of handled things, 
overall, I think that, you know, okay, you know, job reasonably well done. I think the company has done a, done a pretty good job at making a lot of decisions that were, you know, about reacting quickly to the circumstances in front of us and, and just trying to, you know, figure our way out of the, 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 the puzzle. Um, I, I do think that, you know, there've been some really fundamental things that have changed. And, and I have to say, you know, it's, it's probably going to be dumb stuff. You know, it's, it's obvious things, let's say, uh, you know, the distance working thing has been a really interesting fundamental shift for us. It, it did teach us very quickly, uh, you know, how to reprioritize what really makes a team function. Uh, the way you start to think about your office changes. Uh, I remember in one of the very first days, you know, in the U.S., in Boston, which is where our headquarters are, we we locked down on March 16th. That was the first day we closed everything. And, you know, on the in the weekend before that, I think it was, you know, around March 9th, 10th, 11th, we were literally sitting there on the precipice of closing everything down and saying, you know, how are we going to handle this? What are we going to do? And we were all concerned about how we were going to organize meetings and how we were going to whatever, whatever it was going to be that was was causing us stress in those days. And I will will tell you the first thing that became the holy shit moment on the week of the 16th was what are we going to do about the mailroom? Because at the end of the day, the mailroom ended up being the most important, you know, bloodline of the company because, you know, at the, we're, we're sort of an intellectual property and design organization at, at our heart. You know, we're receiving prototypes. We're judging those prototypes. We're shipping them out. We're sharing things with retailers, you know, and, and mail becomes and physical mail became, you know, an incredible problem that we had to deal with. And, and we were getting ready and preparing for uh, a sales launch, you know, and, and at that time you're, you're photographing samples and you're doing all these kind of old fashioned things. You know, I think a lot of people have said, yeah, sure. It's, it's you know, it, it's been a lot easier than we thought to convert to working from home. Yep. That's definitely true. Uh, but I think it's also been interesting for us to see kind of, you know, which parts of our processes are really actually quite old fashioned and, and, and have to deal with that. And, and that's been, you know, kind of cool and invigorating. How did you deal with that? The mailroom and the physical prototypes and, you know, how did you do <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of effort, a lot of individual effort. Um, you know, I think everybody kind of came together and scrambled and built contingency plans and, you know, people, people worked hard to, to just make it work. And, and, you know, we, we probably had different approaches in different, in different territories, depending upon, again, the, the sort of individual sentiment uh, about, you know, the virus and the risks it posed and, you know, getting together and obviously, you know, knowledge and understanding of everything has shifted and, and changed over the course of every subsequent month. Um, but we, we, I think everybody knew that we had to get through this. I, I would say that because we set some, at a very early stage, we set some very, very simple priorities. We said, you know, there are a, a relatively small number of tasks that we have to accomplish as a team. And if we all can just focus on those tasks, then we're going to be okay. And, you know, and, and that, and those are, they were big, broad things, but in simple, you know, in simplified terms, they were the most important processes we had to keep moving. Uh, you know, how do we make sure we continue our product creation process? We knew that we couldn't drop the ball on product creation because if we did, then we'd be dealing with the repercussions of something that, at, you know, in March, we didn't know how long it was going to take, but we said, if we don't continue the product creation process, we're going to be dealing with this all the way through to the end of 2021. 
you know, and, and in that stage you say, okay, well, well, you know, how do we make sure that our designers can design together? How do we make sure that our creative directors can direct, you know, people and, and how can we brainstorm together and come up with the, you know, ideas. And at the end of the day, you know, we got through it, but I think it was having a small number of very important priorities and focusing on those priorities and just kind of going task by task. Uh, you know, that's what got us through. I, I will also say that the long-term strategic thinking kind of went out the window, you know, because when you're trying to keep the business on, when you're, when you're, when you're really focused on doing the things that most matter to your business, the essential tasks, um, a lot of the, you know, strategy kind of becomes less important, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and it's so. a trend I'm hearing from many others, but one area that I'd like you to talk a little bit more about sure. is creativity. I mean, mm. you're, you're, a, a, you're in the creative business and a lot of firms are worried about that, mm-hmm. about creativity suffering because we're, we're making it work. But, but how have you maintained that high level of collaboration, energy, building off each other's ideas, you know, over the last six to seven months? I think that there's something about you know, there's obviously negatives to the remote working paradigm, um, you know, riffing off of one another in a room and feeling people's energy goes out the window. You know, that we have now been able to get a little bit of that back on track because there is an office. It is open. It's at a minimal capacity, you know, and we're keeping everybody safe and distant, obviously. But, you know, there's there's now a little bit more of that we've been able to get to back to from kind of, let's say, July and, and, and the month of August. But the bulk of the creative process, yeah, it has had to be done through screens. And some things I'd say, you know, suffered. Some things maybe got a little bit better, though, because I think that individuals had to get very creative and had to, to do research and had to bring ideas to the table in a way that was different, you know, than in the past. I would say that, uh, you know, now when we get together for for, you know, creative sessions and people are are exchanging ideas, you know, a lot of it is, is based on the fact that you go home and you do your homework or you don't go home, you're at home, but you're, you're at home and you're doing your homework hundred percent of the time. And then you're sharing your homework in, in a slightly different way. I think that maybe the mindset previously was, you know, you get up, you, 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 you do your morning routine, you go to the office and then you kind of plug in and get to work. I think for creatives that whole paradigm doesn't necessarily work. I think creatives don't have ideas at work, you know, in whatever that definition is. I think creatives have ideas when they are brushing their teeth or when they are, you know, pouring a bowl of cereal or when they are, you know, drinking a beer after work or, or whatever. So perhaps the idea that you can work from home and, you know, that everybody is trying to make do with that as the solution, perhaps for the creative that it actually suits their way of operating, maybe, you know, maybe better. And, and I think that if we look at the long term of, of how we operate as a company, my guess is that there is going to be a lot more flexibility. There is going to continue to, I mean, there's, there's right. I'm sure everybody is in analyzing right now. You know, what are the, what are the things that we've learned that we want to keep? What are the things we want to go back to? I'd say one of the things we want to keep is, is giving people a little bit more freedom to be creative offsite. You know, how do you, how do you ensure that you, you, you give people the opportunity to be inspired uh, in a, during 100% of their waking hours or, or maybe 100% of their hours period, uh, as opposed to when they're you know, trying to come into an office and, and, and work in a, in a very structured and rigorous environment? Yeah, yeah. 
How are you? How are you a different leader now, Adam? I mean, what are you? What are your new rituals or practices? Mm. You know, and what do you think you'll keep and uh, or, or or not keep as we get through this? Um, in the time of the in the the early days of the the shift, uh, the the work from home shift, uh, there was. I guess the, let's call that crisis mode, right? I would say crisis mode leadership uh, looked very different from everyday leadership prior to that. Uh, like I said a couple minutes ago, the, the you know the strategy stuff kind of goes out the window, and you have to shift to focusing on keeping people motivated and prioritizing and thinking about the things that they they are you know needing to accomplish on a day to day basis. I I was. I, I was very focused. I ended up spending an awful lot of my time just kind of checking in and 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 just making sure that everybody knew what their priorities were and were you accomplishing it? Did you have everything you need? Were you able to get that meeting done on time? Were you able to connect with that person? You know, and and maybe maybe that's in retrospect a little bit more micromanagement than I would want in you know in a regular day to day scenario. But I think crisis, you know, in, in a crisis mode. Micromanagement is probably a little bit, you know, a little bit helpful or, or, you know, secure for for employees to feel like, okay, I don't know, you know, so much of the environment has changed, so much of the situation has changed, and yet, you know, my manager or my boss is trying to check in on a much more frequent basis to ensure that, you know, we're we're staying on track, we're focused on the same priorities, we have the same expectations, and we're aligned, and and you know, we're getting the job done. I'd say that as time has gone on, you know, that, that intense focus on keeping everybody together, uh, you know, really prioritizing, you know, a a limited number of, of tasks and projects. Um, you know, now as we've gotten better and better at managing as a team, okay, I'm starting to say, let's, let's back off a little bit. Let's allow, you know, the, the, the team leaders, uh, you know, to do their thing, Let's let's allow it. Let's trust, you know, a little bit more that that everybody kind of can understand and can navigate the the the, the craziness of working from home, um, you know. And 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 now I think it's about you know there, there was probably a second phase after immediate crisis when it was what does this all mean for me and my organization and my team? And I think that's when you know I was fortunate just in the in our internal Puma you know work cycle calendar or whatever you want to call it. Uh, that was when we started thinking about, you know, our next season. And it was extremely appropriate for us to be spending some time reflecting on what was happening in the global culture and how that was going to impact the future of the business. And, you know, being able to shift gears and start to really think think in that way was was extremely useful and I think has borne fruit now, you know, a few months later. Um, you know, because we're 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 now benefiting from you know, being able to observe again, and I'm going to say this, you know, thinking being a global company has afforded us the opportunity to really see how different cultures have reacted in different ways and what different countries and different, you know, nationalities have, have done to manage things. Um, we've been able to kind of learn from that a little bit and I think apply, uh, you know, who's doing what in the right way uh, toward a future vision of what we're, we're going we're gonna to try and shape our brand to become. Um, but I think that, you know, shifting out of that crisis mode, flipping into a reflective mode, thinking longer term and, and, you know, strategic, strategic thinking kind of comes back into the day to day. 
um, you know, that's, that's, that's been, it's, it's been a really interesting and unique experience and certainly something that I think is, is ultimately going to pivot the way that we operate as a company for the long term. Uh, now, you know, you mentioned again at the top, we, we were able to maintain momentum. Um, you know, some of that might be, I don't know, good choices we've made in the past. Some of it might be dumb luck. Some of it might just be that we didn't make any, you know, critical errors or stupid mistakes or didn't have any PR gaffes or whatever. Um, but I don't know. I think that, I think that we've been, you know, we have been lucky. I think that our, our team has hustled really hard. And I think that we've, um, you know, we've tried to, to, to manage that transition, you know, from, from phase one, phase two, phase three, uh, as effectively as we could. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. When we last talked, you compared your role as brand steward to a sculptor. And you're yeah. chiseling away all the time and evolving yeah, sure. the brand, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and each brand steward does that in mm-hmm. the life of a brand, which you hope to be eternal. Uh, what have you chiseled in the last six months? Or how do you feel about the state of brand Puma, you know, as we are going through this yeah. crisis? Is it this? It's a hard question to answer. We're no, still no, I, six I, or seven I, months into it. I, I hear you. I, I would say I don't know that there has been a lot of small scale chiseling in the last, to use a funny verb. Uh, I don't know that there's been a ton of, of, chiseling in the last bunch of bunch of months i will tell you that i think i you know if i have to use and continue the sculptor metaphor i think if anything i've kind of walked around to the other side of the sculpture and kind of looked at it from a different angle and said huh you know we we don't necessarily um do everything that we can as a brand to connect with our consumers in the best possible way for for the transition the massive transition that the the consumer landscape has gone through we need to do that. And, and so, you know, while maybe in a previous period of growth for Puma, uh, we were thinking about becoming, you know, the connected sports brand, the, you know, the, the brand that dealt with sports and sports culture in, in, you know, a unique and different way. You know, now I think I'm really focused on, okay, let's take that brand that we've built and let's, let's find the best ways to use that brand and the shaping and changing of the, the the consumer behaviors that have happened over the last six or seven months to to be more effective with it, um, it's I'll, I'll use the most obvious and dumb example, but like you know e-commerce connectivity, obviously you know wild acceleration on a trend that was already there. You know we all knew that that we've been going. You know e-commerce has been growing for for twenty years. You know year on year, but so it's not new, but understanding that the consumer thought process might be shifting and the way that they might explore your brand is going to be different because their first touch point isn't going to be, they were shopping casually in a mall and they happened to come across one of your shoes. I mean, that's just not happening now. You know, there is no mall, there is no casual shopping, there is agenda shopping, there's target shopping, there's like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to buy this thing and then I'm going to get the heck out. 
And so that means that the touch point that's going to be the first is always, almost always going to be a digital one. And so, you know, we have to think about how we transform our brand to deliver the best experience, uh, knowing that 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 paradigm shift has happened and imagining or making the assumption that that's not going to change as we go forward. Have you found, are there any products or services that are more resonant now than they were before the crisis? We, uh, I would say that maybe, maybe as the, as a sportswear company, we've benefited a little bit from a lot of the shifts in behavior. Um, you know, I think early on, there was a lot of talk about, you know, people, uh, doing more to, to, to be, maintain their physical fitness. Uh, you know, that's obviously one that, that benefits a brand that's in the training category. Um, you know, we make running shoes, more people are running, therefore, you know, we have an opportunity there. Um, more people are staying home. And so they, they want to, you know, dress very casually. Well, that also happens to help us as a, as a business in terms of the category that we're in. And, uh, you know, so there's, there's been a few things that I think would, would have helped our, our industry or our sector and certainly our brand specifically. Um, you know, but, but, uh, I guess, I guess we, uh, our hope is that we will continue to, you know, traverse whatever else comes in the next bunch of months and, and, and try to, you know, maintain our focus at the end of the day on, on the interests of the consumer, derive our insights from what's going on in their head, you know, how they're operating, what they're doing, uh, and try and deliver against that. Um, you know, COVID specifically, uh, you know, yes, it's, 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 probably helped us because of the category that we're in. Uh, if I could, you know, talk about another massive shift in, in, you know, let's just say the universe's failure to accept discrimination. That's another place where, you know, I think we as a brand probably, you know, maybe, maybe we've been a little bit more outspoken in that space than, than some other brands. And I certainly think that, you know, in our heart of hearts, we, we, you know, we value, the idea of everyone, you know, having the chance to everyone who wants to play can play. That's our, you know, that's our, our purpose. And, and so, you know, having the world start to cue into the idea that, that, you know, discrimination is no longer tolerable. Um, you know, that's, that's also been a, a, an interesting opportunity for us to, to think about, well, okay, cool. If there's more consumers that are tuned into that idea, how can we use that movement to expand upon, you know, our purpose as a brand and to, to, you know, to, to try and snatch the opportunity to, to make sure that, you know, sports has an opportunity to connect the world and to bring people together. Um, you know, so, so I think that that's, that's been another change that's been, you know, positive and, and a nice opportunity for us. When we were together last, you talked also about your, your brand ambassadors, which include many of the world's most famous people and their key role in defining your brand. And many of those people obviously are, are their voice is very, very strong right now and very active. And, uh, and it's wonderful to see that. How has everything we're going through with the racial crisis, political crisis, environmental crisis, health crisis, economic crisis, how has that changed your relationship with your ambassadors? If it has, just what, tell me about that dynamic because that's such an important part of your brand and your it, it model. Is. Yeah, and I don't I don't know that it's changed it so much. I think that, you know, we've felt like 
there's definitely an opportunity to again serve the consumer and serve the the industry maybe more effectively uh you know maybe with a different message um i you know i don't i don't know it, it, it we just we want to take every opportunity we can to to accomplish our mission and 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 you know really help the world to be a more um let's say open place um our relationship with our ambassadors hasn't changed per se because i think that's always been you know we've we've tried to raise up our our ambassadors causes and to help them to you know to have a voice whenever possible i think that in the last 6 months if anything we've simply focused on listening a lot um trying to uh you know hear the point of view of our ambassadors and what they felt was important um i will say that one of the first things that you know that that we uh started to talk about in the wake of the the george floyd murder murder in particular you know at the end of may um was whether we as a company were doing enough uh internally and with our own processes and with our own you know structure and 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 that's certainly been a you know, an eye-opening journey for us to think about, you know, what more we can do internally and how we can be better to be, you know, kind of an anti-discrimination brand and company. Um, so, you know, so, so that's, that's been, that, that's been a, a, a good and positive uh, project to be, you know, working on and thinking about. Um, our ambassadors, you know, a lot of them came to us and said, hey, you know, help, help us have a platform to speak, help us find a way to get our message out. And, and in a lot of situations and in, in circumstances, you know, we didn't always have an immediate answer for that. Um, I think sometimes, you know, we 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 had to, you know, bring people together to try and think about what projects we could put on the table to to help people express, uh, you know, their thoughts and their ideas and, and you know, work for specific causes. Um, and that's, I think that's, you know, that's kind of par for the course for Puma. We try to, again, we try and collaborate with our ambassadors and do what it is that they think is important more so than kind of, you know, give them our agenda. Um, you know, so, so, so I don't know that that's necessarily changed, but, but I definitely think that we have learned to look inside, you know, look internally and try and think about, you know, maybe it's not always about just our, you know, our ambassadors and, and our external message. It's, it's actually also got to be about how we work with our own, you know, process and our own employees. Is there anything about that that others could learn from on that kind of introspection you're doing about your own culture and how you handle it, you know, equality and, and, uh, and discrimination and, and, you know, the subtle things that sometimes happen in organizations? I think that, you know, I, I wouldn't want to hold us up as an example because I think we're trying to figure it out, you know, and I think we're trying to be very honest and, and brutal with ourselves and say, you know, it, are, are there things that we do that contribute to systemic racism, you know, in, 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 in the U.S. and our U.S. organization in particular? Um, and if so, you know, how can we root those out and change that and modify the, the, the way we operate? I think on a global basis, you know, we've always been very anti-discrimination and, you know, discrimination looks different in every country and, and, you know, we're very cognizant of that. And I think that, you know, trying to, to think through, you know, how you can fight against discrimination, however it looks, 
uh, and be, being open to the idea that, you know, discrimination may not look like what you think it looks like. Uh, that's, that's certainly, you know, something I think we've learned and that I would pass on as a piece of advice, you know, think very openly, uh, uh, about, you know, what practices you've got and, and, you know, are they, are they, cause it may not be obvious that what you're doing today is, you know, creating a, a, a an opportunity for discrimination, but if you're not careful, it might tomorrow. Um, you know, so I, I, I don't know that kind of thought process I think has been useful to us. Um, so, you know, that, that would be a piece of advice I, I might offer, but I, I certainly wouldn't say that, you know, we're perfect far from it. Um, I just think that I, I, I would like to think that our heart is in the right place. Our leadership is, has the right mindset and, you know, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll just continue to do the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me, you know, so many organizations are going through the same thing you are. They're, they're, they're looking at themselves very critically. And so what, what is your hope for what comes out of this with so many people, organizations, companies, brands? You know, I think really taking a hard look at how they do business, the systemic racism in their own organizations, and we're in this middle of, in the middle of, as we talked several times in the last half hour, crises on many levels. You know, what's your hope for our society and companies coming out of this? I think that if, <laughs> I guess if I was going to, you know, write a novel or create a, you know, fictionalized story that, that was about forcing magnificent and epic change, I would probably have a whole lot of crises happen all at once. And and here we are. And and so, you know, I guess somehow when it starts with, you know, climate crisis and, you know, protests in, you know, Europe and other parts of the world over the last few years, um, you know, the, the, the questions of the, the, the crisis of systemic racism in the U.S. in particular, um, you know, but also elsewhere in the world, um, you know, public health uh, and and, you know, how our our cultural and governmental structures are are protecting us or or not protecting us um all of that stuff coming together creates this kind of crucible when suddenly everything is important and you know maybe we're overanalyzing uh details i don't know i doubt it you know i feel like all of this stuff has come together and maybe maybe for a bigger reason i don't know you know i don't know if i'm spiritual or whatever but but it is it is pretty amazing that we have this opportunity through this massive trauma of 2020 to to make meaningful fundamental changes in how we operate and whether that's you know in our politics or in our you know uh, internal hiring processes or in our I don't know, whatever, you know, in any of the things that we do to, to create, uh, you know, the, the, the work output that we, that we create, I think that, you know, if we, if we can really fundamentally achieve long-term change now, uh, as a result of this trauma, I think that would, it would probably all be worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So one final question, what is your, what is the biggest, biggest habit change that you made, you know, as a, person as a as a dad a husband whatever human being over the last six or seven months that you're really happy about i think that i've been um more connected with a, a select 
number of people that are, you know, really, really important to me than ever before. Um, I've probably had a little bit of an edit of the people that I, that I talk to on a daily basis. Um, you know, and those people that I do interact with on a daily basis, it's probably more frequent and more meaningful. Um, you know, so that shift and that, and that's in everything from being at home and literally just spending more time with the the children or, or, or my wife, um, to being a little bit more selective about how I take meetings and how I spend my time online. And, you know, I, it's that, that process of edit and focus, I think has been, has been a useful exercise to me. Um, you know, and it's, it's, I think been helpful and and certainly something that I want to, I want to keep up. Um, you know, my, my life, I wouldn't say that my calendar was chaotic before and it's not now, but I think that there's probably a little bit more structure and a little bit more meaning to, you know, how I spend my days than there was before. And, and that's, that's probably been an, an overall positive. And, and I'd like to take that out of this and, and have that be a, a permanent change to my personal habits and that I think, uh, you know, hopefully is I carry forward into 2021. That's a great way to end this discussion about leadership during crisis, Adam. Uh, it's good to see you again. It's good to see your brand doing so well. It's good to see you focused on what you're focusing on. I think it's, it's, it's so smart and so good for your people and so good for society at large. So it was great connecting. Uh, I wish you well and stay in touch. Thank you so much. That was my conversation with Adam Petrick. There was a lot to learn in this one about managing creative people in a remote setting. Puma is in essence a creative brand and Adam is coming up with lots of ways to keep that energy flowing and keep the energy level high in his organization. There was also a lot to learn about leading your team in this remote setting and how Adam is taking a much tougher look at priorities and relationships. That's it for this episode of our Leadership During Crisis series. We hope you enjoyed this follow-up episode and found value and insight into how these leaders and brands are operating during this pandemic. If you found this episode interesting or helpful, I would be so grateful if you shared it with your friends. And if you gave the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, subscribe to the show and get notified every time we publish a new episode. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.